Welcome to Great Minds. And our guest today is Amy Marino. Amy is with one of the most interesting companies that I know of. And uh, in this case, Amy, not only am I a fan, but uh, we are also a customer. HubSpot drives our CRM here at Advertising Week. Uh, and I'm delighted to have with us the Senior Director and Head of Global Brand Marketing for HubSpot, Amy Marino. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Matt, um, to chat with you. And also, thank you for being a customer. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you all use HubSpot. Yeah, no, we, we do. And, and I must tell you that um, it's been really, really well received by our team. And it's really what brought you and the idea of having you on Great Minds to our attention. Um, and I love the campaign that you did uh, with Catherine and we're big fans of 72 and Sunny. So we'll come back and talk about that as well. But uh, you've been making a lot of right moves in a relatively short period of time. So we're really thrilled to have you here. Oh, well, thank you so much. We like to think that we are easy to use and easy to love. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Great, great. So Amy, I, I want to go back and, and talk about uh, a different part of the life cycle. You went to one of the great, great schools that has produced a tremendous amount of talent in our industry. Uh, and I'm referring to Syracuse and the great Newhouse School. Uh, it seems to be a, a real breeding ground for talent. Uh, and I'd love for you to reflect. I know you, we shared a major in political science. Uh, I think you were a double major uh, as well. Uh, but I'd love to start by going back to the cold winters of Syracuse <laughs> and, and the Newhouse School and your reflections of how that prepared you. Yeah, well, first of all, go orange. Um, <laughs> second of all, um, I'll, I'll take you back even a little bit further to start because I do think that this is an important um, distinction about how I ended up at Syracuse actually. So I grew up in a small town in rural Pennsylvania. We probably had like 4,000 people in it to give you a sense. And as a kid, I really wanted to be a newscaster. So I loved reporting on things going on in my own house, things going on in the neighborhood. Um, other 80s and 90s kids that are listening to this will know. Uh, I had this little Fisher-Price tape recorder with a microphone on the side. Um, the one with the constant reverb if you held it too close to the tape player itself. And I loved that thing so much. I would record myself singing over music, um, acting out my favorite lines from movies, um, and I would interview people. I loved getting the scoop. And, you know, when you're a kid, the stakes are pretty low. So it was like, what are we having for dinner tonight, mom? Or asking a neighbor who they thought, you know, won a neck and neck bike race from the bottom of the driveway to the stop sign down the street. And then in middle school and high school, we had a really awesome telecommunications program and this closed circuit morning news show. So I became an anchor on it and it was totally student run, which was really cool. And we'd do our own research, we'd write our own stories. And then we had cameras, teleprompters, kind of the whole nine yards. And that's really where I first became obsessed with news and politics and how TV was made. So 
when I went to college, I really looked only at schools um, where I could do telecommunications because I was very intent on majoring in broadcast journalism. Um, and I really wanted to be like an investigative journalist. So uh, Christian Amanpour was my idol. And I thought that broadcast journalism would be a really great way to bring all of these passions of mine together since um, that I'd had since I was a kid. Um, but within a couple of weeks of getting to campus at Syracuse, September 11th happened. Um, and that really completely changed my, traje my trajectory. Um, thankfully, I didn't know anyone that was directly impacted by the attack, but I was at school in upstate New York. And there were so many kids that, you know, lost their apartments, some who lost family members, um, and, it, and it was really awful. And I can just really remember so clearly watching reporters interviewing people who just rushed out of the Twin Towers, you know, covered in dust and looks of terror on their faces um, and, and asking them a lot of questions and throwing a microphone in their face. And I just really remember thinking to myself at the time, I could never do that. I could never hold it together like those reporters did. And so, by the end of my first semester, I'd switched my major from broadcast journalism to public relations. And that really set the foundation for my career. Um, I met so many amazing people at Syracuse, um, people who are heads of comms at NBC, people who are writers for SNL, um, people who've actually like made their own TV shows. Um, so I, I totally agree with you that it is a school that really just churns out some excellent um, people in communications. And I felt like I got a really incredible education there. Um, some real hands-on experience, I think, going to the Newhouse School that I would not have otherwise gotten. Um, However, you also mentioned Syracuse is really, really cold. Um, and so my senior year, um, or maybe it was actually the end of my junior year, I just decided that I cannot do another winter of trudging to class through snowbanks. So I graduated a semester early and I moved to New York. Um, I'd done a couple internships in the city and PR um, and ended up taking a job here. And that's, that's really how I started my career in communications, um, which has now evolved into a career in branding. So let's stay where you started, which was a small town in rural Pennsylvania. That's a big leap to go from there, Syracuse, which is a relatively small town compared to New York City, certainly. Um, did you always have New York in the back of your mind? Did you, you seem to be someone who was determined pretty young to play the big stage? Oh my gosh, totally. Um, I, I remember growing up in my small town and thinking there has got to be more to life than this. And that's not to throw any shade at my hometown. Um, I, I love my hometown. I love going home to visit. Um, there are amazing people who live and work in my hometown, but it's, it's pretty much two little streets. Um, it was an amazing place 
to grow up. Um, but I just knew that when it came to my career, when it came to what I wanted longer term, um, I wanted something bigger. And I think I always had like the bright lights of the big city in my eyes. Um, you know, and I, I was, a, I was a Girl Scout. Um, I can remember coming on trips to New York City with my mom and just loving it and falling in love with it. Um, I did show choir in middle school and high school, and we came here for performances and we came here to go to Broadway shows. Um, and I just, I really think that I fell in love with the, the culture, um, the lifestyle, um, how everything was so convenient and all around you. And the city just has an energy that is unbeatable. Um, and I, I do think that even now, um, I just, I can't imagine living anywhere else. And I've chosen to um, build my life here and have my family here. Um, and I really wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, nor, nor would I as a lifetime New Yorker. And you were talking about 9-11, my office was in the Trade Center way back when. So it rings particularly, uh, you know, in a particularly different way uh, for someone who was actually there. Uh, but, uh, I agree with you about that use of the word energy. And when I was doing uh, Vinny on your, your team was great and sending us a bunch of background and, and we do our own research, of course, but that word energy really stood out. And, I, and I'm glad you, you used it. Was your first gig, I know you had a good run at Porta Novelli. Was that the agency? Was that where you began or was there something before that? Yeah, no, that's that's where I started. I actually interned for a summer at Porter Novelli, um, and then I was lucky enough to be invited back for a full-time role. Um, and I, I went there to work on the HP business, Hewlett Packard. Um, I was working on their consumer imaging and printing business, um, and I, I really loved it. Um, I loved the industry. I loved being on the cutting edge of technology and innovation. Um, it was really back in those days of like big flashy IRL launches with reporters and investors and analysts. Um, and everyone at the time was really trying to take a page from the Apple playbook of like getting all your product leads on a really big stage to unveil a new suite of products and the latest software features. Um, so it was an exciting time to be in, in consumer tech PR. Um, and I really learned so much in those first years of my career. Um, I think about how to be a good PR person. So how to pitch reporters on the story they should be writing. Like God, when I think back at the fact that I actually used to like pick up a phone and cold call reporters, um, that, that was the name of the game back then. Um, and, you know, back to the, back to the story that, that reporters should be writing you know, in a, in a way that gave customers something to care about. Um, and it's, it's pretty basic, um, but that ability to craft a really good story is so fundamental to success, I think, in almost any line of work. Um, and working at an agency really gave me the perspective to understand what it takes to get things done, um, that it's almost always more complex and takes more people and hours than you expect. Um, and I think that that, that really helped um, 
give me the ability to be a good strategic planner um, and to assemble the right teams. And um, I, I really think like fondly of my years um, at the agency. And I love when I meet other people who have agency experience, you know, now having been in-house for over 10 years at this point. Um, but I think we're all kindred spirits to some degree. And, you know, anybody who's worked at an agency has some pretty good battle stories. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you completely. It's a, a, a tremendous foundation for whatever is to follow. But I love that you started as an intern. And I look back very fondly. I was lucky enough. I went to Emory in Atlanta and interned for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. And I owe my entire career to those internships and the doors they opened and the people that I met, many of whom, you know, uh, almost, she's almost 40 years later, who I'm still in touch with. Um, that's a great way to start. And I agree with your sense, spending, I guess you spent give or take between Porta Novelli and Outcast about seven years on the agency side. That's a great foundation. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Fantastic. And you rose up the ladder at Porta Novelli pretty quickly. You're made a vice president. You're still mid to late 20s? Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess I was probably about like 29 or 30 um, when I made VP on the agency side. I mean, nowadays I feel like titles are so different everywhere, um, but I do remember feeling really proud about that. Um, and, you know, early on in my career, I, I kind of set the goal for myself that I wanted to um, rise quickly. I wanted to manage teams, I wanted to have a broader scope. Um, and I actually think that one of the things that helped me get to VP at Porter was that um, there was really this emerging field of social media um, that started to take hold while I was there. Um, and you'll remember back when Facebook started, for instance, like you couldn't even get on Facebook unless you had the right .edu email address. Um, and so in a lot of ways, um, I was a social media native. I had been using the platforms for a lot longer um, than most of you know, my bosses or my leaders or the folks that I was reporting into. Um, and I realized that I, there was an advantage in that. Um, and so one of the things that I was able to do while I was there was to talk to my clients on the PR side um, about getting HP set up on social media and, and in particular getting HP set up on Twitter. One of the reasons for that was because if you can think back to um, the days of consumer tech when something went wrong with your technology. Um, you had to call an 800 number on the back of your printer, let's say, um, and stay on hold for minimum 45 minutes to an hour to talk to a customer service represent representative to, uh, to help you figure out why your printer wasn't printing. Um, it was one of the most frustrating processes for a customer. And it 
seemed like a really good idea to get our incredible customer service technicians um, up and running on Twitter so that they could try to solve problems faster. Um, and so I helped to get HP up and running on Twitter um, for the first time. And that, I, that experience, I think, um, you know, really helped to parlay um, in, into the next steps in my career, which, which was really focused in, in social media. And back then, when you started at American Express managing their social media communications, social media meant something very different than it does today. I mean, you referenced it. These were the early days. Yeah, exactly. Um, my, my first in-house job was at American Express. And as you mentioned, I was the manager of social media communications. Um, it was kind of this really cool hybrid PR and social media role where I served as both the voice of the brand on social networks, but then also I was doing the PR for Amex's social media innovations. So um, we were in touch every single day with Amex customer service, um, making sure that card members who were having an issue, had a charge on their bill that they wanted to, to dispute, had a question about who accepts Amex um, could get answers really quickly. Um, and, and so, so that's what I did. And I think that one of the, one of the things that was really lucky for me at the time, and I think this around that time was a pivotal moment in social where it was moving from more of this customer service operational comms arm of the company to a brand building arm of the company. Um, I was stepping into a machine that Amex had created that was running really, really well. Um, and they were, they were doing some of great early work in social, not just on the customer service side, but also on the brand building side. Um, and they were pushing into these really innovative spaces that, that no one, quite frankly, was in yet. One of the reasons that Amex was able to do that was because they had this really unique closed loop business model, right? Where they're both the issuer and the acquirer. They sit on all the data, everything runs on the Amex rails. Um, and then on top of that all, the Amex brand brought a real trust and authenticity to social media platforms. And, and back then, you know, they, those social media platforms were not necessarily known for being, you know, trustworthy um, or transparent. And so I, I really think that that dichotomy made the types of innovation that we were doing at Amex so interesting because the social media platforms knew that we could bring that trust and security to the table. And we knew that the social media platforms that we were partnering with were opening us up to audiences that may not have looked at Amex before um, as a brand that, you know, they wanted to interact with. And you're not only in social media, but you're moving into digital at a time when, again, the definition, you know, I remember at Advertising Week when we would have a mobile content track, when we would have a social media 
content track and all the way back, we had a digital track. Today, that would be unheard of. Everything today is digital, social, mobile, et cetera. But when you were there and creating partnerships with you know, the Apples and the Samsungs and the Googles and you know, working with you know, sexy live properties, and I know later you did a lot more in the talent area, but referring earlier to the work that you did with Coachella, the very definition of what social and digital meant was a little bit different. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that it was for the betterment of all those function areas um, that those lines were blurred to your point, like digital is social now, social is digital. Anything that is digital, if it's good, is inherently social. Um, and so it was really interesting to be, you know, in, in a business unit like digital partnerships and development as all of those things were kind of evolving, you know, side by side um, and, and also beginning to converge. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some of the partnerships that, that we were doing, but, you know, we were partnering with, um, you know, big, sexy up and coming startups like Uber, like Airbnb, to add more value for card members. So um, as a, for instance, like you could connect your American Express card to Twitter um, and you could actually tweet hashtag to add offers to your card. Um, so that when you went and spent at one of those places where you added an offer, you would see savings immediately um, on your account. And so the, the simplicity of it, doing it in a way that felt really frictionless, um, doing it in a way that felt like a value add for a card member relative to what they could get from one of our competitors um, helped to give us the edge in particular with millennial customers who, I mean, that's just table stakes for them. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's, less about millennials, it's more about Gen Z, but that notion of you know, making everything really easy and simple and intuitive, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's only become more table stakes at this point. Very well said. Uh, Amy, there's so much that you did and I wanna get to the present and HubSpot, but your almost 10 year tenure at American Express was a real all-star performance. I'd love to ask you just about a couple of the things uh, that you accomplished while you were there that really jumped off the page. And one of them was the Platinum Collective. I love what you did there. Could, could we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the time, um, we, we faced a, a pretty interesting challenge at American Express, which was, um, <laughs> I'll actually call it back to uh, a, a very specific article um, that came out at the time. Um, and the headline was something like, American Express is losing the snob war. Um, and essentially what that meant was that, you know, these affluent, um, high spending customers no longer were thinking about American Express as the card that they wanted to make sure that they had 
in their pocket. Um, and there was a very savvy team of folks at Chase um, who had recently launched the Chase Sapphire Reserve Card. Um, and it had a, a pretty high annual fee, like very competitive with the Platinum Card um, and a host of really hot benefits. Um, and for the first time in a while, there, there was a real competitor, you know, on our heels or, or beating us, depending on who you asked, um, for those highly affluent customers. Um, and so my team at the time, um, which was a really incredible team of people, um, had, to, had to refresh our platinum card um, so that we could remain competitive. Um, and we did that in a, in a whole host of ways. And, and the biggest way um, in which we did it from a product perspective was that we ingested a lot of value into the card. Um, more partnerships uh, with big brands like Uber, like Delta, like Airbnb. Um, and so we ingested the value and we actually increased the annual fee on the card. And what my team came to the table with as part of this you know, really integrated strategy was that if we want people to understand what it means to live the platinum life, we have to show them. Um, and so one of the ways that we did that was by working with a group of tastemakers and influencers and social media heavy hitters that we called the Platinum Collective. Um, and we invited them under the hood and behind the scenes of creating the Platinum card at Amex um, so that they would know what was coming so that they could help advise us on where to show up and other brands to consider partnering with and you know, help us get into the head of this millennial customer that we really wanted to make our American Express card member. Um, and and it, it really worked for us. Um, we, we worked with the Platinum Collective for probably the better part of, of two to three years um, as we went on to, to launch the, or to refresh, I should say, the, the new Platinum card. And, um, you know, they were the ones that pushed us to be at Coachella. They helped us to curate the experiences there from, you know, the food and drink to who was performing on stage. Um, and it really paid off for us as well from a business perspective. Um, we had, you know, some of the highest um, new accounts on record in, years, um, the, the vast majority of those new accounts that we were acquiring were that millennial customer. Um, and of those millennial customers that we were acquiring, we were seeing that they were more loyal, they were spending more frequently, they were spending higher amounts. Um, and so that really helped to, uh, to infuse some new energy into our, our platinum portfolio. 
It's great stuff, Amy. You really see now going back to our earlier conversation and that that agency background and all the way back to your Fisher Price days as a uh, young reporter, you really see how it all comes together to create the body of experience you need to execute as you did. So uh, it's a great, great story. Can we talk about the Talent Center of Excellence? Um, which also jumped off the page. And I think it sort of comes from what you've just been talking about in some way. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Amex is a great, great brand. Um, They have invested in their brand for a long time. Um, And one of the things that Amex has done really, really well um, is use the power of celebrity um, to create awareness for its products, to drive brand recall and memorability. Um, And when I moved from, you know, corporate communications to digital partnerships and development, and eventually into the global advertising and brand management group, um, you know, I, I, I found myself in this place of having to help manage some of these celebrities and our relationships with them. Um, It wasn't all that different from managing our relationships with influencers, our relationships with, um, you know, celebrities in their own right on the Platinum Collective. Um, But as we sort of like looked across um, the the various partnerships um, and the breadth of all of the um, relationships that we had, um, it was clear that we we weren't really getting necessarily all of the value out of those partnerships um, that we could. And so um, I was tapped to create, you know, a talent management center of excellence um, by which we could evaluate, ingest, and create new partnerships with talent and emerging talent. Um, to, you know, do the deals and negotiations and make sure we were getting the right deal points into their contracts. And then also, um, you know, usage and execution and realization um, of all of those contractual deal points. Um, And, you know, working with teams to, you know, devise the the strategies and the go-to-market and the executions for how we were actually going to use the talent. Um, And so that was a really exciting um, time, but it was really um, more than anything else, an exercise in operations um, and really figuring out, you know, how do we have like a central source of truth for all of this stuff? Because you know, deals were being done in, in all different pockets across the enterprise, but really centralizing them and bringing them together and trying to make sure that we get the most out of every partnership, regardless of what business unit is working with that partner, um, was really important. So it was, um, it, was re- it was really fun to be able to do that and definitely flexed a different muscle um, than than, than probably I, I'd ever used in any other um, leadership position that I sat in. Very analytical. And you're also moving into that experiential space, which gives you a different skill set. Yeah, I did. I, um, I led experiential um, for a couple of years 
as well. Um, and again, another, um, another function area that I think American Express is so great at, just has really been on the forefront of experiences as value for card members. Um, and, you know, around, around the time um, that I was working in experiential, the experiential marketplace, that was like a buzzword that was being used a lot, right? Um, millennials no longer cared about, you know, tangible value, but they cared about the value of experiences. And so um, American Express historically had really been invested in things like um, you know, PGA golf, for instance, um, you know, large uh, sports sponsorships like the US Open, um, you know, places they knew that their card members congregated, um, wanted to go, wanted to have access to, um, and where we could also reach them once they were there. Um, and there were some, some really, great folks at the helm of experiential and, and there continue to be really great folks at the helm of experiential at American Express um, who you know then migrated towards what are the what are the new experiences? Where are the new places um, that our card members are congregating and that they want special access to? Um, and that became places like Coachella, um, places like Austin City Limits. Music was a big passion area of our card members and one that we wanted to create more value for them in. Um, and, you know, to go back to the Platinum Collective for a minute, um, Manish Vora, who's the, uh, one of the co-founders of the Museum of Ice Cream, was on the Platinum Collective and the Museum of Ice Cream, you can get a ticket to it for a couple of years. But if you were a Platinum card member, you could get a ticket and you could skip the line. So that access and that value um, that Amex could uniquely provide um, is definitely part of what drove consideration um, for that card, especially at the time. Great, great, great run. You seem like you could rise all the way to the top at American Express on the track you were on, but you get a phone call, an email, a text, a message in a bottle, something in the spring of 2021. And all of a sudden you go to HubSpot. I'd love to hear how you got there. And then we're gonna get into HubSpot and really dig deep. Sure, sure. So um, I, I would just say that I, I feel so fortunate for the run that I had at Amex. Um, I think that Amex prepared me for leadership and made me a really great general manager. And one of the reasons that I was there for so long was because every few years I was able to do something different, you know, learn a new function area, work with a new agency team, meet new people. And the culture of Amex is really, really strong. And the investment that they make in their leaders is really special. So, um, you know, it's, it's really not unique to run into people at Amex who've spent the majority, if not the entirety of their careers there. And there really is a reason for that. Um, I think that Amex brings in really good people who are really smart and excellent at what they do. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, got, a, got a phone call 
um, last summer um, for HubSpot. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I needed some aided awareness <laughs> to know what HubSpot was. I'd heard of them, but I didn't totally know of them. Um, so I will say, you know, for any listeners who also don't know what HubSpot is, HubSpot's a CRM platform, which stands for Customer Relationship Management. And a really great CRM can help you grow your business, whether you're a startup or you're an enterprise. Um, what it really does is to eliminate friction from the customer journey, can align your teams across sales and marketing and servicing for better and more efficient collaboration. Um, and it can help you automate parts of your system. Um, and HubSpot is a really exciting place to be. It's a fast growing company. Um, our CEO, Yamini Rangan, she just announced on our earnings call last week that HubSpot has almost 150,000 customers globally. Um, so like I said, it, it's a really cool place to be. Um, and I joined last year to lead brand marketing. So I work with some of the best in the business on global marketing efforts across creative and advertising and media, um, PR, social measurement, analytics. And while I've done B2B marketing before, um, I actually ran Small Business Saturday for a couple years at American Express. I've never worked for a strictly B2B company. So it's really been a lot of fun getting to learn the business of SaaS, which is software as a service, um, which I'm still very much learning, um, and also learning more about the CRM category landscape. Well, I love that they reached out to someone with your skill set and background for HubSpot because it's an aggressive move and not a conventional move. You know, companies, and I guess the founders are both MIT alums. I find that companies that have sort of an engineering or that type of orientation are not necessarily comfortable um, in the arenas where you've excelled in social media, dealing with talent, dealing with high profile events and personality. So kudos to HubSpot for reaching out to someone with your skill set. That's not always the way that those things go. Uh, I think that that's really nice of you to say. Um, however, I will say that one of the things that I totally credit Brian and Darmesh with, who are the co-founders, is that I think that they were always very intentional about the type of brand that they wanted to build, even when they were just starting out. Um, and everything that we've done, everything that our teams have built on has really been an evolution versus a revolution. You know, we didn't go in there and like flip the table on everything. It really, really was a build. Um, and and I, I think that they, they had a lot of foresight um, when they started HubSpot and it's allowed us to get where we've gotten to as quickly as we've gotten there. Well, and it's an incredible growth story. I mean, you're give or take 16 years old. I think the revenues in seven, 2007 were about $255,000. Uh, you are now in the uh, billion uh, dollar category. Um, and I, I love that you mentioned Small Business Saturday, which you ran for Amex, because the roots of HubSpot, and I guess some of the recent, uh, uh, I don't know what we'll call them, developments, recent new products, if you will, go back to those early HubSpot roots, focusing on small and medium-sized businesses. 
Yeah, that's actually one of the things that um, that has been a really interesting undertaking as part of this role is that HubSpot is really making a pivotal decision um, to move from you know, just being thought of as a CRM for small businesses to really being thought of by upmarket decision makers. And so um, upmarket decision makers in this case are really, you know, those folks at the top of enterprise companies or scaling businesses, founders, C-suite executives, heads of business functions like sales and marketing who are the buyers of CRM. Um, and with everything that we do, we were very focused on that audience um, as the ones that we wanted to reach with our work. When they talk about HubSpot, Amy, one of the things that people talk about is they're not necessarily the best at everything, but the, the approach that you have collectively makes you the best. And the work that you do sort of cutting not only vertically, but also horizontally. Is that a fair characterization? I think so. Um, one of the things that we love to say is that we are crafted, not cobbled. So every part of our product suite has been crafted in-house by our own engineers. It's a little bit like if you think about the Apple versus PC debate, right? Everything about Apple is seamless. It's frictionless. It works really well together. Um, everything about PCs is clunky and it sometimes doesn't work. And I think that's one of our competitive advantages as a CRM, whereas most of our competitors have grown and scaled through the acquisition of other companies that you know can help them to broaden the scope of what they're able to deliver to their customers. Um, we're crafting everything in-house um, and that's a really important nuance and I think selling point of HubSpot's CRM software and our offerings versus our competitors. And in fact, it's something that we saw come through in the research that we did. So we, we conducted global research as we were getting ready to launch this campaign. Um, and what we saw was that these upmarket decision makers would you know, buy the, these big CRM platforms and they would start to integrate them and implement them. And actually they ended up having to go out and like hire consultants to come in and teach their teams how to use the software. It wasn't easy, it was super clunky. It was creating even more pain when all they wanted to do was just flip the switch and turn it on and have it work. And that wasn't what was happening. Um, and again, like back to our, you know, unfair advantage in the market, I do think that's one of them. Well, I can only tell you, you know, from our own team here, and I mentioned at the top that we're a HubSpot customer, that what our folks have been responding to is the ease of use, that it, that the, you know, our 
prior CRM and we, you know, we're Switzerland, we do business with everybody. We were using Salesforce and it was a project constantly to figure out how to make the thing work for us. And that has not been the case with HubSpot. You are not the first person to say that. Um, like I said, you know, we can we conducted global research with these upmarket decision makers, um, and really what they told us was that they were craving more connection, more simplicity, really more humanity in their software experience, um, and they were really frustrated by the complexity and the pain associated with implementing and using other CRM platforms. Um, the other thing that was kind of interesting. Um, something that we needed to think about how to overcome was that they just assumed all CRMs were the same, right? So none of them are differentiated from each other. So when we set out to create pain and our brand platform, which is called HubSpot Success Stories, we really wanted to make sure that the campaign addressed our customers' needs and that it aligned with our core purpose as a company which is to help our customers grow better. And to grow better to us means to succeed with a soul and with intention, not just by any means necessary. That's kind of the emotional part of our brand story. Um, actually to call back to Amex for a second, um, the former CEO Ken Chenault has said many times that brand is a set of attributes, both rational and emotional. So the rational, that's what gets folks in the door. That's what your product does. Um, that's what you can expect from the product. Um, but the emotional is really what makes them stay. And so succeeding with a soul, knowing that you're implementing a CRM that has you know, many of the same purpose-driven missions as you do, um, was also really important and something that we saw pop in the research. Um, and like I said before, I think it's a real differentiator for our brand and something that our founders, Brian and Darmesh, built into the fabric of the company. So as we were thinking about how we would go to market with HubSpot's first ever global brand campaign, we really wanted to stay true to that um, in a way that felt fresh, but still reflected that ethos. All right, so I, I, I wanna get back and dig in a little bit more about some of the successes that you've had, not only with generating increased revenue for clients, but aligning processes and conversion and really dig a little bit deeper into CRM. Uh, I love, by the way, your juxtaposition of the words humanity and software. I think that's brilliant. And I can see how that goes back to the uh, ethos of the founders, uh, just brilliant. But let's talk about the campaign because you've mentioned it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love Catherine Hahn. Let's talk about that because that's a brand new thing. It's hot. It's very recent. Uh, and uh, I think you had some great creative. So can we talk about the campaign? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying all of that. That's so great. Um, I'm so fortunate to work with some really, really amazing teams that have brought this to life. Um, I, I think I mentioned before when I was talking about, um, you know, the, the agency side of my background that it always takes way more people and way more hours to get things done than you think it will. Um, and this was, this was definitely one of those 
one of those times, um, but just a, a massive, massive team. So I'm lucky to be here talking about it on their behalf. Um, and like I said, the, the platform is, is HubSpot success stories. Um, you know, I mentioned our global research. Um, it was really clear from that, that there was a unique set of needs from our customers. Um, and we were able to uncover those. We also have a really great customer partnerships team at HubSpot who brought real trials and triumphs of our real customers to us. Um, and that really inspired us um, in how they carved out a better path to growth. Um, and that's what led us to HubSpot success stories, which is really this familiar concept of a business testimonial flipped on its head with some fantastical storytelling. But it still really puts the customer as the hero of the story and kind of gives this place um, for HubSpot to celebrate alongside them. So our brand ambassador is Katherine Hahn. You mentioned her. She's such a talented character actor. She's just a wonderful human. Um, she plays our upmarket decision maker and brings that humanity and personality and hilariousness to the role. Um, and we partnered with 72 and Sunny to bring the campaign to life, um, as well as our media agency, Carbon, who built out a really stellar media plan that was designed to outsmart our competition with the most relevant, differentiated, eye-catching placements for the work since, you know, let's be real, we know we are not outspending the category leader here. Right, right. But, but it was super clever and it broke through the clutter. In the pirate business, it's easy to fall into forcing sales, but HubSpot helps us treat our valued customers like people, like conquests. How's your tavern? I brought you a case of rum. HubSpot, grow better. It did. It did. We're uh, we're starting to see some early results from the campaign, which uh, absolutely indicate that um, you know, working with Catherine, um, I think, has helped us to break through, um, and she's really someone that embodies HubSpot's core values. And that was really important to us as we were thinking about who is the right talent um, to partner with, to bring on board for this. She's humble, she's optimistic, she's vibrant. Um, and we connected immediately with her sincere optimism and really the comedic spin that she brought to the storytelling of a business testimonial. And um, for anyone who hasn't seen the ads and they are on YouTube, a little plug. Um, Catherine Hahn plays a fantastical founder. She's a pirate CEO who's determined to run her business differently than her competition with the goal of genuinely delighting her customers as her business grows. And we've had a lot of fun with pirate puns, with ocean puns. Um, in fact, we kind of can't get through a meeting these days without one. Um, and I think that the ads have really helped to cement HubSpot's brand personality um, as one that, you know, can have some levity and can strike that balance between being both powerful and easy to use. Um, and I, I really think that that's where the humanity comes in. 
Yeah, it's a great story. And, and kudos. I mean, I think 72 and Sunny, we think the world, uh, we've had them on our stages all around the world met many times over, but you executed well. And you had a great media plan behind it as well. And um, for uh, an initial breakthrough campaign like that, to have that kind of success, that's very rare. I think that I think that um, 72 and Sunny as partners um, definitely were um, great partners to us in helping us to, you know, shepherd HubSpot through this process for the first time. Um, they are truly masters of their craft. Um, and I'm, I'm excited with how the campaign is performing so far. Yeah, no, I, I, congratulations. And, and, uh, and I look forward to seeing more, more work out of you because it's entertaining. And it, it really is the best of what great advertising and great, what great creativity can do. Uh, and Lord knows we need more of that. So, Amy, there's so much ground to cover, but just to wrap, I'd love to dig in a little bit deeper. You know, most folks, CRM is a big headline and, you know, we know what it means sort of, but uh, not all that deeply referring to the majority out there. Can we dig in a little bit? You have some tremendous case studies and where your HubSpot is helping clients generate enormous increases in revenue. You're helping them align their processes. Um, this work around conversion. I know for us, uh, the biggest plus of being a HubSpot customer has been around aligning our own processes. Um, but can you dig into a little bit and break down sort of what it means and what customers who are using HubSpot, the benefits, if you will, that they enjoy. And you can take it any way you'd like to go. Most people like to just talk about generating more revenue, but, but you're doing much, much more than that with your sort of unique all-in-one approach. Yeah. So one of the great things about HubSpot as a CRM platform is that it can grow with you. So we have customers of all sizes um, on our platform. And when, um, when you buy into the platform, you know, you can sort of buy in at any level that you want to start and you can grow um, into, you know, the full service of the CRM suite. It really depends on what your company's goals are in terms of what HubSpot can help you to do. Um, we have some real life HubSpot success stories um, that we feature in our social media channels. Um, and in fact, in some of our paid advertising as well on social media, um, you know, big name brands like Airstream and Crunch, um, local regional brands like Mr. Yum out of Australia. Um, and, you know, again, kind of depending on what the company is trying to drive, um, HubSpot's been able to help them with that. So for example, um, Airstream during the pandemic um, knew that they really needed to generate some additional leads. Um, and so they were looking for a way to scale and distribute those leads amongst their network of dealers. Um, and so they invested in HubSpot to be able to do that. Um, they created a really consistent narrative to generate, nurture, and distribute those leads at scale. 
Um, and at the end of the day, they generated about 80% more leads by using HubSpot to help them to do that, to help them take the friction out of that customer journey. Um, and so, you know, they saw a lot of success with the platform. And there are lots of, there are lots of stories um, like that as well from our customers. Um, and, you know, back to, back to the point about growing better. Um, one of the things that, you know, we, we try to make sure that we are helping to do and nurture as a company is better customer experiences. And when you have a really well-crafted CRM powering those customer experiences, um, you're going to see exponential value from your customers um, in terms of repeat business um, and deeper engagement. Absolutely tremendous. And looking ahead, Amy, in the HubSpot crystal ball, what's at the top of your agenda? Are we looking at you know, further iterations of the campaign? Are, are there particular tech-related developments? I guess inbound is probably back live, I would guess, which is a tremendous property that you have. Um, what's on your priority list right now? Yeah, inbound is definitely back live this year, which we're super excited about. Um, it's actually gonna be a hybrid event. So we're not gonna let go of the digital platform and ecosystem that the team has built um, over the last couple of years during the pandemic, but it'll be really exciting to have um, parts of it back in real life again, um, because it is such a, such an amazing experience. I actually have yet to experience inbound IRL. I've only done inbound digitally. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that this year. Um, you know, we're also doing some really exciting work um, around the build out of the HubSpot media network um, and building our own media network um, that we run, our CMO Kip Bodner, um, has really been at the helm of that. Um, and there's some really, ex really exciting stuff happening um, in that arena. We just acquired um, a podcast network called The Hustle about a year ago, um, which is really exciting um, and really fun to think about too from a channel perspective. You know, how do we show up in the right way in audio um, and, and what can audio do to help us achieve our brand goals? Um, and then, you know, just, I think one of the most exciting things about this campaign is that we're already seeing really great early indicators of its performance, but really we've only been in market for about, you know, eight weeks at this point. Um, so really looking forward to um, collecting the data, gleaning more insights, um, I'm sure there will be lots of learnings to come out of it. And, um, and that's, that's one of the most exciting parts, I think, of my job is, you know, when you, when you take some risks, when you challenge the status quo, when you do something that's never been done before, um, you know, not everything's going to go right the first time. Um, and there are going to be a lot of learnings. Um, so I know that coming out of this, um, I'm gonna know a lot more than I did 
going into it. Um, and so I'm excited with, you know, how we can take those learnings and push the next campaign even further. Yes, well, Amy, this has been great. I, I, I come off this uh, uh, inspired by your story. Uh, and I think our audience will be too. Uh, HubSpot is going to be a household name, no question. And uh, a lot of that is to your credit and what you're bringing to them. But clearly you stepped into something here that's quite special. And I, I've enjoyed this conversation uh, immensely. And thank you for uh, thank you for being with us here on Great Minds. Thank you, Matt. Me too. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. So much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.